Welcome to the sermon podcast of Compass Church. In this message from May 30th, 2021, Pastor Craig Kidder preaches message four of his What is the Bible series, focusing on Exodus 3 and God's call of Moses. As the text describes Israel's hero in hiding, Pastor Craig poses the question, what do we do with our hiding? Touching on core issues of guilt and shame, and moving on to see how the God of the Bible engages us in our brokenness, Pastor Craig continues to unfold the overarching story of God and his people reversing the curse. For more information, please visit compassefc.com. You can be seated, and hello. hello! It is so good to be back. It's always good to travel, but it's really good to come home. Uh, so I got an email while I was gone. Someone said, like, when are you done with your taxes? And I don't know if they were joking. I was like, what? Like... Someone, so I haven't been doing my taxes. I mean, I'm not, I'm not that good with math, and they've been done for a while. Uh, but I've been, I was in L.A. working on my doctorate. Uh, and so for the past two weeks, I have been uh, in the classroom. My head hurts. But it was really awesome. I got to meet leaders, thinkers, pastors from all around the world. And uh, it was a really beautiful time. Uh, and I got to have this really cool experience, which, well, let me just say this first, though. Uh, anybody, does anybody in here have anyone in their life uh, who's a Californian? Just a show of hands. Okay. All right. Here's what's going to... Ha- have you ever had this experience of like, uh, oh, uh, I'm from California. Where are you from? Missouri. Where? Where's that? Is that by Florida? No, no. It's Missouri, man. Oh, I've never heard of that. Okay. I just... I, people, pe- people from California watching. I love California. But let me just give you permission. Uh, they don't have the right to say that anymore. Like those folks are figuring things out. All right. It was a wild two weeks. All right. So uh, next time someone tries to a Californian in your life tries to make you feel a little small, just be like, hey, we know we've seen what's going on, man. You're, it's a little bit of a dumpster fire, and you guys are figuring things out. So you're not allowed to make us feel small anymore. All right. You got my permission to say that. As I, as a Californian, deep in my bones, you're allowed to say that now. But it was an awesome two weeks. Um, I had an experience I have to share with you. So I was in a preaching class, and I'm meeting with lots of people who think about preaching all the time, professors, scholars, and I go out to lunch with, like, one of the leading evangelical people who talk about preaching a lot. And so I just was sharing with them, like, hey, here's, here's what we're doing at Compass. Like, we're taking a series where we're trying to back the truck up trying to get the big picture of scripture, so how, see how the Bible's interconnected. And do you know what he said to me? That won't work. Okay. If you remember, when we opened the series, I shared with you that was an experience I had in seminary, and folks are still saying it. Right? But if, if anything, for the past couple weeks, the conversations I've been having, I deeply, deeply believe that God's people have a hunger for God's word. Amen? Amen. Yeah, it's, it's tricky. We're navigating. It's complicated. I may say things are like, wait, what? And, you know, my head hurts. Our heads hurt. But there's really beautiful, rich depth and beauty on the pages of Scripture. And when we see God's story, we experience life. That's what we're doing today. We want to we wanna experience the life that Scripture offers. So... I want to I do something today a little bit different, a little bit different, not too, too different, but a little bit different from what we've been doing the past couple weeks, all right? We're going we're gonna to talk about how we've been trying to back the truck up, okay, we're trying to back the truck up, 
and see how the Bible is a story. It's a beautiful story, but we don't want to back the truck up too far. Okay? Here's what I mean by that. There are some people who say, hey, the Bible's not about you. It's a story. It's God's story. It's about God. It has nothing to do with you. All right? That's, that's one side of this. And there's, another, there's some other people who are like, hey, don't ignore all that. Let's just, what does this say to me? All right? We want to we wanna create some tension this morning. Okay? So tension. Right? Like these, I'm not going to touch them. Don't worry. I don't want to break them. The, these strings, there's tension here. Right? This only makes noise because there's tension. It makes beautiful noise. It makes music because there's tension. So this morning, we're going to live in some tension that the Bible creates. So who's right out of both these people? Yes. Yes. They both are. They both are. On the one hand, the Bible is not about you and me. but it, It's God's story. We don't want to read ourselves into this story. The Bible, we, we, we need to back up and see what is this story telling us about God, right? They're right. These folks are also right. The Bible helps us make sense of our story. And it invites us to bring our whole story into this bigger story. Make sense of everything. We sang it. We just sang it. Did you guys hear yourselves singing it? This is my story. Huh. I didn't plan that. All right? Tension. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I got in last night really early, like 1.30. And so I run the risk. We got coffee. We're good. But I run the risk of being misunderstood. So I want to be very clear. I am not saying. All right? I am not saying. Am I saying? No. I am not saying we need to blend God-centeredness and man-centeredness. If you hear me saying that, I'm not being clear. So it's not like, hey, we have like church. It's all about God. And then we have like the first church of me. Right? Lord, I lift my name on high. All right? And you know what? Just blend those two. Not saying that. I'm saying let's create some tension here and say, hey, how do we lose ourselves and how do we find ourselves? Because if we don't have both of these things, we're going to be lopsided. If the Bible has nothing to do with me and it's just God's story, there's a whole bunch of my life that's not experiencing and knowing and delighting and living with God. Likewise, though, if I just don't ever back the truck up and live in this space where I'm just trying to figure myself out, I limit what I can see. So we want to have that tension of both. So here's what we're going to do. I was gone, and someone, I won't say who, but I watched videos, and I saw someone make fun of the hand motions. <gasps> I saw it. I watched. All right? So... We're going to rise and we're going to do these hand motions so we get the full picture. We want to work these hand motions into our hearts, from our heads to our hands to our hearts. You're like, I feel silly. Look, I'm a 34-year-old man up here doing hand motions, all right? All right, we can do this together, all right? Yep, this is my shack here, 34, okay? You guys ready? Here we go. And... There we go. I barely remember these, because, but we're going to do it. All right, ready? Creation, fall, Abraham, Exodus, Torah, David, prophets, Jesus and his kingdom, Jesus and his cross, church, Paul, Revelation. 
All right, you guys give yourselves a hand. You can have a seat. Well done. Well done. You know, I've been traveling for the last two weeks. I just actually, just at the beginning of the service, I hadn't seen my boys because I got home so late. So I was reunited with them in the back. It was beautiful. Love it. You know, you know the old cliche, absence makes the heart grow fonder. I mean, I was just, you know, sitting in my a hotel room thinking about, like, man, I really miss playing hide-and-go-seek with my boys. Just love it. Like, my boys are at a stage. The, my two older boys are five and two. And they love hide-and-go-seek. Like, it doesn't take anything to get them going, right? I just have to go, one, two, and, like, whatever they're doing, it's just like, oh, we know what's happening. This is awesome, right? They're so excited. I love it. I can't wait to play hide-and-seek with them later this afternoon. If hide-and-go-seek were a video game, my boys would be maybe still at level one, okay? They've got, they've got skills. They get it, all right? All right? So they're at level one. How do they get to level two? Well, let me tell you what level one looks like, all right? So level one hiding looks like this. Dad's counting. Let's hide. So they understand it. There's a transaction that takes place. Counting equals hiding. So they run and hide. They understand hiding even. Hiding means let's get somewhere where dad can't see us. So they go and they hide. That's level one, hide and go seek, all right? And they're pros. What would help them get to level two, hide and go seek, all right? Perhaps hiding in different spots. <laughs> Every time we play hide and seek, without fail, same spot. All right, I, I jazz it up, all right, I jazz it up. I'm like, where are they? I walk into where they're hiding, walk out. They think they're, oh, dad's so bad at this, right? It's beautiful, right? Hide and seek. My kids love hiding. This morning, I want to talk to you about a concern I have. My concern is that just like my kids love hiding, we love hiding. We hide. Remember a couple weeks ago, I don't know how many weeks ago it was. Talk about fall, the fall. What happens in the fall? Adam and Eve do something. They sin, and then they hear God coming. They eat from the tree. They eat from the wrong tree. They're like, hey, let's, let's determine right and wrong for ourselves. They eat from the wrong tree. They hear God coming, and what do they do? Hide. They hide. They had perfect fellowship. They had joy in God's presence. Something has happened, and now they hide. We hide. What does hiding look like for us? Well, maybe you're in a small group, and it's a safe space, and people are sharing their stories. They're talking about how they met Jesus. And everyone has similar stories, right? They you know, grew up in the church, had great parents, met Jesus, young age. Your turn to share your story. Your story includes not growing up in a safe family. You had an abortion. And it's your turn to share your story. What do you do? We hide. What else does hiding look like? Well, maybe you just lost your job and you're hanging out with your in-laws. Hey, how's work going? Fine. Fine. Yeah, it's fine. We hide. How else can we hide? How else... How else do we hide? See, what happens is we have this fear of being exposed. And it sends us into hiding. 
sends us into hiding. There's this fear of, if people really knew, I'd get rejected. Today, we're going to be still looking at the big picture story, but we're going to zoom in a little bit and see, we've been talking a lot about reverse the curse, right? Reverse the curse. Yeah, that's, we get that, right? God, all creation is suffering under the weight of sin. There's injustice. There's hurricanes, humidity in the Midwest, right? Creation's not working right. Right, we get that. But what does this reverse the curse talk have to do with me? Does this reverse the curse talk invite me out of hiding? What does it look like for me to experience the reversal of the curse in my own life, in my own experience? In the passage we're going to look at today, we see Israel's hero hiding. We see Israel's hero on the run. He's hiding, and his hiding gives us clues about why we hide. See, Moses is hiding for two reasons, guilt and shame. There are two things that sent Moses into hiding, guilt and shame, all right? Moses kills a guy, okay? I don't, I don't know how long you've been around Christianity, uh, but, but that's wrong. K- killing someone, no bueno, okay? All God's people said, okay. So Moses does a bad thing, right? He kills somebody, and he experiences guilt. Guilt says, I have done wrong, I feel bad. Moses did something wrong, and he feels bad. How do we know he feels bad? He runs, okay? Guilt is a beautiful gift, okay? Imagine a world without guilt. Imagine a world where adults go up to Girl Scout cookies, like Girl Scouts selling cookies on their way into Walmart, and they just open them and eat them and give the girls a high five and head into Walmart, no guilt, do you want to live in that world? I don't want to live in that world. Imagine, imagine a world with a roommate who has no guilt over not paying rent. Do you want to live in that world? Guilt is a gift that causes us to experience what Adam and Eve experienced in the garden. Something's not right. So I, 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 I just did something that contributed to, to this brokenness. I just messed up. There's thunder in Tinseltown. All is not well in the West. I messed up. And guilt can be a really powerful and beautiful tool to help us get back to where we should be. That's one reason Moses is hiding. The second reason why Moses went into hiding, so the first one's guilt. Moses hides because he feels guilty. Second one is shame. Shame says, I messed up because I am messed up. I did bad because I am bad. So on the one hand, we have guilt saying, I did bad, I feel bad. All right? And on the other hand, shame is a little bit different. 
It says, I did bad because I am bad. Now, please hear me really clearly. Outside of the answer that Scripture gives us today to, to guilt and shame, both those things are true. Both those things are true. We are sinners by choice and by nature. So, something is wrong in our hearts. We were made to live and dwell with God. We were wired for goodness, but when we ate from the wrong tree, that changed us. And so now, by nature and choice, we sin. And when we sin, we hide. How in the world do you come out of hiding? See, this, this, this idea of hiding, we see it right there in the opening pages of Scripture. They sinned. They hear God coming. Oh, man. We know this isn't right. We did it. Let's hide. We see Moses. He ent he's on the run. God comes to him, and he hides. We see Elijah. Same word. God reveals himself to Elijah, and he hides. You and I, we hide. Some of us hide at church. Some of us hide at work. Some of us hide at home. But we all hide. And if Israel's hero hides, if Israel's hero, we meet him as a hero on the run, a hero in hiding, if we see how God deals with him in his hiding, there's hope for you and me. If God can, can get Moses out of hiding and welcome him back into his presence, there's hope for all of us. So that's our passage. Let me just, again, where, where are we at? We're kind of starting in the middle of the Exodus story. Let me just set the table a little bit. This is what is called the call of Moses. So God, this is a key word in the story of redemption. God is preparing, okay? Growth doesn't all happen at once. God doesn't reveal his plan all at once, all right? So God is preparing people for redemption. He's preparing the way for this rescue. And so... Israel is in trouble. They're in slavery. And it's bad. Okay? Moses sees this. And he's bothered by it. He sees it, he's bothered by it, and so he tries to solve the problem. Moses tries to fix and to rescue Israel. And so he steps in. And he goes and talks to this Egyptian who's abusing and oppressing two Hebrew slaves. And the conversation... Goes a little off the rails. One thing leads to another. Moses kills the dude. All right? Not good. Next day, he's walking around, and the two Hebrew guys are like, hey, you're going to kill us too? Uh-oh, people know. I've done bad. I feel bad. Uh-oh. Word gets out. He's on the run. So he, think about this. He was in the cultural center of the world. Okay? Egypt is New York City, the Shanghai of its day. And he lives in the palace. He is a child of privilege and prestige. He 
He's done something bad, and now he runs to the boonies. He, he just hightails it out of Egypt, and he lives in a place called Midian for 40 years. He's on the run. We meet our hero in the wilderness. So in Exodus 3, Exodus chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. So if you turn about to Exodus 3, we're going to see how God treats our hero on the run. Exodus 3, second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. Not Exodus 1, not Exodus 2, Exodus 3. Exodus 3 is where we're going to be. We're going to be in Exodus 3. So if you have a Bible, Exodus 3. Exodus chapter 3. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of Yahweh appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. When Yahweh saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals. For the place you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. What happened next? At this, Moses did what? What did he do? Hid. Hear that? Our hero in hiding again. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I know their suffering. I am deeply familiar and aware. I feel their suffering. So I've come down. I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of Israel has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And so now I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said... Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, uh, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of our fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? Uh, what do I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent 
me to you. God also said to the Moses, say to the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. That is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We see, we have seen our hero in hiding. How does he come out of hiding? What's the hope for our hero to come out of hiding? Well, it's in verse 11. Verse 11. Look back with me at verse 11. How does he come out of hiding? What's the hope? Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you. I will be with you. Hiding, think about this for a second. Keep in mind, I went to college. Hiding from God inherently includes trying to not be around God. You guys see that? You see that? So if I'm hiding from God, I'm saying, I don't want to be around you, God. I, this doesn't feel good. I, I feel this guilt. I feel this shame. I don't want to be around you. Right? And what's the answer to our hiding? God comes to us in our hiding with love and his presence changes us. What's the answer to hiding? It's so counterintuitive. Hiding says, God's going to kill you. You know, you think your friends are tough? God's super tough. He's God. Right? And then we throw some theological words in there. He's holy. He's righteous. We are not. So stay away from the holy, righteous one. But what do we see God doing here? What do we see him doing? How does he treat people in hiding? Verse 4. Moses, Moses. In Hebrew, in Hebrew, if you want to tell someone you love them, you say their name twice. Think about Jesus. Remember Mary and Martha? Martha's running around like crazy. And what does Jesus say? Martha, Martha. Think about Saul, right? He's persecuting the church. Jesus said, Saul, Saul. Think about Moses now. He's killed a guy, and what does God do? He steps into his space, and what does he say? Moses, Moses. God meets us where we hide with love. In verse 12, Moses says, hey, God, who, who, what, when, when they say, like, hey, you know, you shouldn't, you should, you know, I'm coming to save you, they're like, well, who sent you? He says, tell them that I am sent you, okay? Here's the thing about, about names. Names are super important in Hebrew culture. So this took people a while to figure out. So uh, just because the Bible records someone's name as their name, we don't, this is just, we don't necessarily think that means that they were called that in everyday cultures. Everyday, so for example, Abel, the name Abel means breath, okay? Because his life was but a breath, right? He didn't live very long, breath. So some people are like, how, how did his parents named him Breath and then he died? How, how does that work? Well, maybe they did not call him Breath as he ran around, but he died and his name became Breath because your name tells your story. 
All right, we don't, we don't necessarily do that in our culture. Like, we're trying to get super adventurous. I just met somebody. They named their middle kid, like, Michael Justice, you know, Smith or whatever. And, like, Justice is his middle name, right? We don't really do a ton with, of creativity of, like, that with names. Uh, but not in Hebrew culture. Your name was how you identified himself. How does God identify himself? He says this. He says, tell them, I am sent you. That I am is not a complete sentence. It's a continuation of verse 12. Why can Moses go do this? Because I am with you. What's your name, God? I am. What are you? There's a lot it means, but one thing it means is he is with us. How God, and this is what he says in verse 15, that's my name for forever. Forever. God, this is, a, this is when God reveals his name to Moses, and he reveals his name as the God who is with us. This, remember, okay, progressive revelation has nothing to do with insurance, okay? Progressive revelation, it has to do with how God reveals his plan to people. So he reveals his plan in a really small way in the garden. Someone's coming to fix this. Don't worry. That's very small, right? We have no idea what that looks like. Then we get to Abraham, the plan gets revealed progressively a little bit bigger. Hey, Abraham, through your family, I'm going to reverse the curse. Great. Woohoo! I'm having kids. Don't worry. We'll figure this out. Now through Moses. Hey, Moses, come on this mission. We're going we're to go reverse the curse. How? I'm going to be with you. All right? What's the problem? Sin separated us from God. We left his presence. What's the answer? God comes to be with us. Don't miss this. Do not miss this. In Exodus 2, in Exodus 2, Moses sees a problem. Okay? That's a wonderful thing. Moses sees a Hebrew slave being oppressed by an Egyptian. Moses then tries to solve the problem. Okay? And one commentator says that the language, the nuance of the language in this text is that he didn't mean to kill the guy. He just like, hey, come here. Come here. What are you doing? What do you mean what am I doing? Why? You, you don't need to treat him like that. Don't tell me what to do. Hey, man, I'm just trying to talk. And he pushes him. Looks around. Buries him. Oh, no. Guilt. What is the Bible's answer for guilt? We don't know. So let's run. That's what everybody's doing. Just run. Right? I don't mean to be stereotypical. I, this issue, I hate talking about it, but like, because it just, it just doesn't really get dealt with and it ends up being like the issue, but porn, all right? Certainly, guys, that's not the only struggle guys struggle with, but it's just an easy one to imagine. Guy looks at porn, right? Well, it's Saturday night. Ooh, that wasn't good. I got church in the morning. I feel really bad. That's guilt, right? You did something wrong, you feel guilty. What do you do? You know, I know how to feel better. I'll just read my Bible. I'll just read my Bible. I'll just try harder. I'll try harder. That's what Moses did. Moses sees a problem and he tries to fix it. And it does not go well. It sends him further into hiding. He goes on the run and he's hiding. You see that? Think about, play this out in your mind for a second. Let's say Moses' interaction with that dude, the Egyptian slave, let's say he kills him. And the next day he's walking around and the fellow slave's like, thanks, man. Yeah, that guy was really rough. Yeah. Let's all rise up. 
Yeah! What did Moses just do? He became a terrorist. He's trying to save Israel with terrorism. Okay? And God is saying, hey, hey Moses, you're going to save Israel. Those desires you have, that's from me. You're, the fact that you see this oppression and you want to do something, that's from me. But when you save Israel, it's because I did it. The answer to coming out of hiding, part of it, is not about trying. The answer is not about trying. The answer is about trusting. See, Moses tries, and it doesn't go well. Now God is saying, hey, here I am. Trust me. Christianity, fundamentally, is about helping people come out of hiding. It's about helping people who hide at church. It's about helping people who hide through being a workaholic. It's about helping people who hide through their identity as a parent, whatever. Wherever you are hiding, the invitation of the Christian faith, of this Bible, is to come out of hiding. Christian parenting is about helping your children come out of hiding. The Bible is a story where God makes the first move. God appears to a hiding person and calls him by his name twice. Why? Because he loves him. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. We feel these problems of guilt and shame, and we try to deny them. No, you shouldn't feel bad about that. Yeah, I mean, like, sure, you screamed and yelled at these people and cursed them out. But, like, look, I mean, who doesn't have a bad day? That's denying the fault. It comes from a good place, right? Someone feels bad, and we want to help. But to deny guilt is to deny the fall. Something really is wrong. No matter how well-intentioned we are, you're just inviting people to try harder. Because the guilt, newsflash, doesn't go away. We have to keep working harder and harder to hide and to bury till eventually we're numb. And the Bible calls that a hardened conscience. Conscience is a gift. That's what we described earlier. When we do bad, we feel bad. That's a gift from God. Because we were wired to be with this God. I was talking to a, I think he was a World War II vet from Canada. Didn't know they helped out. That's my, that's my bad. I'm talking to this World War II vet, and he's telling me this story about how they're pinned down by this sniper. And just, you know, it's scary, Right? And he's, and he's hiding, and bullets are whizzing around. And finally, I don't I have no idea how a human being does this. They figure out where the sniper is. So he carefully, like, kind of, you know, like gets down, gets back, gets back. You know, a couple hours later, gets up behind the guy. So this guy, keep in mind, this sniper is shooting his friends. Okay? Not all is well in the world. All right? What does he do? <laughs> what happens next in that moment? just throws up everywhere. Just vomits. What's happening there? He knows, whether he may intellectually know it or not, he wasn't wired to do this. This isn't 
how things should be, and he just, I don't know, his body rejects it. We were wired for goodness, and guilt can be a beautiful gift to draw us back to that goodness. When we contribute to injustice, to materialism, to selfishness, to lust, whatever, we are contributing to the problem. And our conscience is a beautiful gift from God to woo us back. And how does he woo us back? With love. Moses, Moses. Guilt can very quickly, though, morph into shame. Remember, outside of Jesus, we do bad because we are bad. We have this old nature. But for those of us, we've known Jesus for a long time. We, we tell ourselves stories that just aren't true. Like, oh, yeah, I do that because I'm the worst. If you know Jesus, that's not true. You're not the worst. You have a new nature. And that's what this presence of God says. So remember, hang on with me for a second, all right? We're going to just run through the Bible real quick because this, remember we talked about progressive revelation? It's not about politics. It's not about auto insurance. It's about God revealing his plan in chunks. What happens in Exodus 3 is a seed that grows into a tree and that tree flowers in Bethlehem, okay? Let me walk you from a burning bush to a, ma oh, I did it wrong. They tell you in preaching class, move left, dummy. Okay, let me walk, let's, whoop, let's rewind that. Let me walk you from a burning bush to Bethlehem. Did that feel better? I felt better about that. You guys feel better about that? <laughs> All right. Here we are. We are, we're at the burning bush. Here we go. Hang on with me for a second. Okay? In the Hebrew Bible, whenever you see the natural world and the supernatural world colliding, that's a clue the authors are trying to say to you, heaven and earth are coming together. Okay? So think about this. The Garden of Eden, there's a talking snake. Okay? That is the natural world, snake, and the supernatural world. Animals don't talk. Okay? Heaven and earth are coming together. What does that mean? The place where God dwells and the place where people dwell are now the same place. Okay? That gets lost. Eden is gone. Because of sin, we get kicked out. Now, we're going to move just a little bit. What does God put at the entrance of Eden so that no one can get in? Yes, an angel with a flaming sword. Okay, here's another hint. In the Hebrew Bible, whenever you see fire, whenever you see fire, that's a clue of God's presence. Okay, now, Exodus 3. What do we see? A bush, natural world. It's on fire and it's not being consumed. Supernatural world. Heaven and earth are coming together. God is hinting to Moses, I am preparing a place where we live together. How am I going to get you there? I'll come to you. You don't try to get in here. You trust me. All right? Woo! That's worth the price of admission. All right? Now, we keep moving through the biblical story. Isaiah, a prophet, we'll get there, to prophets, all right? But we probably won't talk about Isaiah. Isaiah, though, this is an experience he has. He sees a vision. He sees a vision where he's in the, in the temple, and there are all these seraphim, okay? Seraphim is the Hebrew word for burning ones, okay? So there's fire. So he's in God's presence. 
One of the, and he's like, I'm a man of unclean lips. That's really cool. We don't have time to talk about what that means. Maybe in the prophets. Come back. Um, so, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And he hits the ground. All right, he says, he sees the train of the Lord. Why, why do you see a train? Because you're, you're down, right? That's, that's all he's, ah, he hides, okay? What does the seraphim do? Whatever these creatures are, it flies and grabs a coal from the altar and touches his lips. And does it kill him? No. It purifies him. Now, the, pro, the, pro, the progression here is God's presence, our sin and our guilt tell us will kill us. In Isaiah, God's presence makes us whole. God's presence doesn't kill us. It makes us whole. What's over here? She will have a child, and you will call his name Im-Anu-El. Im is Hebrew for with. Anu is Hebrew for us. El, you know, is God. Im-Anu-El, Emmanuel, the with us God. Wait a second, though. Remember, we said over here that when there's like supernatural and natural things coming together, it's heaven and earth meeting. There's a person who is the God-man. Person, natural, God, supernatural. Heaven and earth meet in a person. And that person calls himself the with us God. It starts here. The plan is moving forward. The God who is holy and righteous is moving toward us. Moses wasn't looking for God. The God who, who is holy and righteous moves toward us and transforms us. And then says, my name. What's the story of me? I'm the with us God. The, the one thing I want you to know about my presence. Verse 15 says this. This is going to be my name forever. I'm not just calling myself this for a couple weeks. I'm not just trying this on. This is me. Who am I? I'm the with us God. That's how we come out of hiding. So when you experience the dark night of the soul and you just spirituality and following Jesus, it just like bumping into a wall and you don't want to do anything. How do you come out of hiding? You say, God, I don't want to pray. What are you doing? You're praying. You invite Jesus into the hiding. You invite him into the hiding. It's not about trying. Please, 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 don't miss this. Christianity is not a religion that says, not all, not all is right in the world, try harder. To do that is to lean into the problem. And we all have these reflexes to do that. How we make sense of this reverse, the curse, is we say, I'm hiding. I'm not okay. God, will you meet me here? Can I experience Emmanuel? And what happens when we experience Emmanuel? Both our guilt and our shame get dealt with. Think about, I think it's around verse 12, what Moses says. Who am I? It's 11. Who am I to go and say to Pharaoh to let Egypt go? 
who are you to go say, hey, let Egypt go? I don't know, only the perfect person who's been prepared for this his whole life? How many Hebrews lived in the palace? How many people had a foot in both worlds? We're going to do a little bit of biblical theology for a second here. This is super cool. In Exodus 1, it says that the children of Israel, they're in Egypt, and they start multiplying and filling the earth and swarming. It's Exodus 1. What does that sound like? Genesis 1. Fill the earth, multiply, fish, swarming. There's a creation language. Whoa, 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 what's going on? Exodus 2, verse 2. A woman has a son. And what, is it, what, what, is, what do your translations say? Exodus 2, verse 2. She saw her son that he was what? What does your translation say? Exodus 2, 2. Fine. Okay, fine. We're fine. Someone say beautiful. Fine. Okay. Here's what, it, here's what it literally says. She saw her son and she saw that he was good. All right. Here's what's happening. God, the authors and God are leaving hints. They're saying like, hey, we're going to get back to Eden. Be on the lookout. We're going to fix this. And we're going to fix it through Moses. Uh, Moses, you know, there's genocide going on. They put him in a box. The Hebrew word for box is the same word for ark. And they push him out on the water. God is doing a new thing here. He's, he's doing this new creation. So God is preparing Moses. Moses has these desires from God. And he steps out into it. And it goes bad. It was pretty dumb. Dude, you're in your 20s. You got a moleskin and some angst. And you mess things up, bro. All right? But if we keep reading... On his way out of Egypt, he stops at a well. And there's these thugs picking on these seven daughters. And what does he do? Same guy. Dude, he didn't learn anything. Didn't learn anything. He's like, I'll help. But it goes well. So there's clues here. There's clues here about what God is doing. He's preparing Moses. He's using who Moses is. And he's redeeming who Moses is. And he ultimately redeems him by bringing him out of hiding. It's not by trying, by trusting. Now, we're skipping ahead a little bit to next week. He goes. There's some back and forth, right? Hey, can you let your slaves go? No. That goes back and forth for a little bit. Uh, Exodus 14, 14. They get out. They get out of Dodge, right? They're leaving. Pharaoh changes his mind. He's chasing after them. Exodus 14, 14. They're on the shores of the Red Sea. There's mountains all around them. And, like, there's dust. And it sounds like a horse. And it sounds like a lot of horses. And it sounds like the world's biggest army coming after them. Okay, think about it like this. This is the United States of America versus, like, a rotary club in rural Alabama. Okay? <laughs> this is not, not going to go well. All right? This is also the birthplace of just amazing humor, right? Hey, Moses, did you bring us out here to die? And Moses, what does he do? Does he try? He's in an impossible situation. Does he try harder to fix it? No, he hears Yahweh say this to him in Exodus 14, 14. I will fight your battles. All you have to do is watch. And then it literally says, and shut up. Trust. Coming out of hiding is an invitation to trust God with the shameful, 
and guilty parts of us. When we come out of hiding, is it risky? Yes. You can get canceled. There could be consequences from, for your sin. Maybe you stole something a long time ago and you owe money. Maybe your wife doesn't know about some things. There's hard conversations. Coming out of hiding does not mean it's going to be easy. That's why we hide. Think about Moses, right? God calls him out of hiding and does not send him into safety. He sends him into danger. Go to the world's biggest superpower and tell them, I want all your slaves to be free. But the promise that was true for Moses is the promise that is true for us. I am with you. Psalm 100. If Yahweh is for us, what can people do? A lot! But he's with us, and we invite him into our doubt. Coming out of hiding is hard. Listen to Moses. He's like, uh, I don't know. Can we work something else out? And it doesn't, and he keeps dragging his feet. Coming out of hiding is hard. The promise of coming out of hiding, though, is a God who loves you and is with you. You don't have to try harder. You can trust. Um, back in L.A. a couple uh, days ago, I was with an old friend, my old friend in, in L.A., and we were talking about just struggles that he was experiencing. His marriage had kind of just hit a spot where it was really hard. It was really hard, and his wife and he were not jiving on the same page. She would ask him to do things, be present. He's like, I'm trying to be present. And he would just feel really bad. He'd feel attacked. So he sits with his counselor. And his counselor starts asking questions. He starts asking, like, hey, what, what happened? What are you experiencing? And what are you telling yourself about that? And through a lot of work, after a couple weeks, he's, he has this experience where he's like, you know, my wife makes me feel shame. So I had this experience as a little kid, you know, I, like recess, dodgeball time. Don't pick my friend. Oh, man, nobody, I'm not good enough to be on the team. Something happened, and he's telling himself something about it. Fast forward, like science fair projects, everyone's getting split up. Nobody wants him. An experience happens, and he tells himself something about that experience. What does it look like for my friend to come out of hiding in that experience? He needs to do that. What happened? What am I telling myself about that? That's, those are good questions to ask to figure out where we're hiding. What, what happened? Did I do something wrong? Did I offend people? Are people mad? What happened? And what am I telling myself about what happened? Don't stop there. What is God in his word? What, are, what does God say about what happened? So what am I telling myself about what happened? And what does God say about what happened? If we never make that move, we're going to stay in hiding. If we never say, like, Lord, like, help me see your perspective on this. We stay in hiding. And hiding feels good. Because we, it, it's, it's scratching an itch. Something's wrong. I can fix this. 
I, I just need to work harder. I just need to feel worse. I just need to, I just need to, I just need to. And the invitation, though, is to invite Emmanuel, invite God into that to experience his transforming presence. It's not really wise to do that alone. It's not re- we can really easily and really quickly twist what we say into what he says. That's why we need community. We need other people um, who are living in Scripture with us, living by the Spirit, and who can speak into this. We have to come out of hiding together. That's why for the past, I don't know, however many months, life has been hard. We were kind of sent into hiding and it just became easier to hide. But let's come out of hiding and let's do it here. Let's ask these questions. What happened to me? What happened to me? What am I telling myself about that? And what does God say about that? God says, Moses, Moses. God says, I am with you. God says, this is my name for forever. God is saying, it's safe to come out of hiding because I'm going to love you with my presence. That doesn't make it easy. The story gets rocky and windy and twisty and turny, and we're going to look at some of those rocky, windy twists and turns next week. We're going to see what happens when Moses steps out in faith. It gets wild. So come back next week, but be praying. We're going to just pray as the band comes back up. We're going to be praying that God would be reminding us throughout the week, working on our hearts, helping us ask questions about what are we telling ourselves and what does God's word say. So let's pray together as we close today. God, God, thank you that you are a God who gives us his name. You're, you're the with us God. You're Emmanuel. God, I pray that we would experience the power, the cleansing power of your presence, God. That we would not deny our guilt and we would not deny our shame. Those are real. Those are problems. But we would bring those into your presence and come out of hiding. Lord, work on us this week. I pray your spirit would bring things to mind of ways we're hiding. And as soon as those things pop up, God, I pray we would invite you into those spaces. God, I pray that we would not stay in the shadows but we come into the light because there's life there on the other side. Father, help us to do this by your power and your grace. Amen. This sermon is part of the ministry of Compass Evangelical Free Church in Columbia, Missouri. We seek to be a church where Christ's love is at work transforming lives through the power of the Spirit to the glory of God. For more information, check out compassefc.com 